0: Romans chapter 1. I'm going to do what I usually do, and I'm going to touch on a lot of different places in the Bible. But today, uh, my, my message is, is quite a bit different than what it would normally be. But, you know, the last, I was thinking the last two weeks, I think it was very good and uplifting things, and I'm thankful for that, thankful for all of the things that Christ has done for us, thankful for the miracles that were really promised, miracles of provision. Or I should just say provision. Um, but this this is what I want to talk about today is something that uh, it's probably not, not going to be very, what we'd say, edifying necessarily, but I think it's needful. Well, I know it is. Paul wrote it, uh, and it's in the Bible. And it's in the Bible really more than just here, and that's kind of what I want to take the next 40 minutes to show you. But. Um, The reason I think it's needful, well, what am I going to be talking about? We're currently living, me and Mike was talking about this the other day, me and Alan, in a a nation that's under judgment. And it's important that Christians see the truth of the time that they live that we see the truth of the things that we're surrounded by, it's very important that we can rightly see it so that we can... Well, of course, the right message is always the gospel. That's always the right message to the world is the gospel. Um, And that's important to understand. There's a lot of things that, that the church needs to say and should say and has to say to the world. God gave the apostles and the prophets many things to say to the congregation, And to the world, and so we do have a lot to say, but the gospel is always the primary thing. But what I'm getting at is it's important that we have the right discernment of the times that we live in. Because if we don't have it, where will it come from? Um... In other words, if we keep saying, and by we, I mean the church as a whole. I don't know of anybody here that has actually said this. And I'm going to talk about the church a lot or say we a lot. And in that, I'm using that phrase to talk about what we would just call the, if there's such thing as the American church or Christianity in America. I know that everyone here agrees that not uh, everything out there that calls itself Christian is Christian. I know that that's the case, however, I'm just going to be using that term to just encompass that whole, uh, what would you call it? Well, everything that, that names the name of Christ, so to speak, I'm going to be calling that the church. So I don't really mean here in this church necessarily. Honestly, as I was thinking about this sermon, man, I couldn't help but I got down and prayed and thank God. You know, I, I thank God that even though we're such a small group of people and so small in number, I'm so thankful for... The, the truths that you guys actually live out and hold to. I'm so thankful to see that. I'm thankful to be a part of that. I, I'm so thankful that as far as I know, there are like there are no problems here. Um, you' all have great fellowship with one another and it's just it, we have a great church here, I believe that. And the fact that it's small, it, it doesn't matter. But we need to understand that we are we are living in a nation, Um, that's under judgment it's not that judgment is coming it's not that judgment is impending and so that's what I was getting at earlier when we talk to people uh, when you're sitting around you know on the job and conversations come up we don't really need to be saying like God's going to judge this country if they don't repent or God's going to judge the church if it doesn't repent we really shouldn't be saying that what we should be saying is God is in the process right now of judgment we're seeing judgment we're under judgment And we need to be able to understand that so that we can convey that truth to the people. Also, we need to be able to understand it so that we can get our bearings and and see our way rightly and not just stumble about every day through our future. But let's, let's start at verse 18, and I may jump and skip a couple of verses here and there, but I honestly think everybody knows this passage probably almost by heart. It's so famous. But in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then this is a very key phrase. In the King James, it says, Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And what it really does mean is hold back. They suppress or put away from themselves the truth. They don't acknowledge the truth or don't receive the truth or they're not thankful for the truth. There's so many different examples of this given throughout the Bible. 2 Thessalonians comes to my mind that these people received not the love of the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so this, this same concept that Paul's laying out here is just found all throughout Scripture. But that's one of the most important things that I want us to focus on is that it's saying that The thing that is initiating or the thing that is the cause, so to speak, the catalyst that's bringing about this wrath of God is because men are suppressing the truth. They're not receiving the truth, unwilling to hear the truth, and don't even want to speak the truth. And, of course, let's read on. What truth is it specifically? He tells us, "...because that which may be known of God is manifest in them." That means made known or made visible, made understood. For God has showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even... So in other words, not, not just that people know that God exists, but they even know that an all-powerful God exists. It says, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God... They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image like, made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now listen, this is where we're really going to spend the rest of our time here. This next, what, five words... Wherefore, God also gave them up. Even the word also is interesting to me there. God also gave them up. Why would you even put the word also there? Because what it has just really told us is they gave God up. First, they gave God up. And it's kind of like God is saying, "Well, you gave me up, I'm also going to give you up. And this is a a sort of biblical way of saying a judgment. When God gives up a people... That's, he's 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 pronounced the judgment here that that act of giving up is an act of judgment is what I'm saying. But what does it say? It says, wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. Now, listen to this part. It says again for this cause God gave them up, second time God gave them up, unto vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense, or the, 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 the judgment really, of their error which was meet or fit, And then it says it again one more time, and I'm going to read that one and stop. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind so we see it three times right there and i don't really want to focus too much on everything that it says in between because honestly you guys know that you guys know that that's the condition that's the things that we see out there and i love it that we have a church that's mostly children and for the children's sake i'm very choosy with my words there's a lot of things that the adults will just have to read between the lines on because i don't want to expose your children to anything uh... that's up to you the time and the place for that kind of thing but what i do want us to see is that when it says God gave them up, it's a it was a judgment. And that what brought about that judgment is that they they knew the truth, they could see the truth and they had heard the truth, but they didn't receive the truth, and they actually began to hold back the truth. They denied the truth, but it's it's not just that they denied the truth, but it's that they didn't want the truth to spread. It's not that just that they personally didn't want to hear the truth, it's that they also don't want you to hear the truth. And so they're literally holding back the truth. It's a very unrighteous thing to hold back the truth. But then there's something else in this passage that I want us to see. And I was this is what I was talking to Alan about the other day. People are making the mistake of thinking that what we see out there, that God will soon judge it. And by what we see out there, I'm talking about the sodomite kind of stuff or the trans kind of stuff, you know. We're thinking, well, God's going to judge this country if they keep on. But what this is actually saying is that what you're seeing out there is the judgment. That is the judgment. Why are they the world, the American world, I don't know that the whole world is, is, is partaking in this, but why is it? Well, because God has given them up. And so what we're actually seeing is the consequences of a judgment. That when God is basically saying, okay, I take my hands off. Okay, I withdraw the graces that I've given you. I withdraw right thinking from your minds and we'll see what's really in your heart. And so the withdrawing of that is the judgment. And what we're actually seeing happen out there is the, is the expression of the sin of man when God says, okay, I give you up. And that's what we've got to understand. And it's very important to understand that that we're not about to be judged, we are being judged. And it's also important to notice something here so that we can again get our bearings in this world that we live so that we can even know how to approach the things that we need to do, the things that we're called to do of God. And one of the things that I that I want you to see is that it says it three times, but also each time it says it, it's actually followed up by something worse and worse. And worse. And see, the first time it says it, it says he gave them up through the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies between themselves. Now listen, it seems to me, this is speculation on my part, but I really think that our nation has actually been under judgment for 60 years now. And it seems to me, too, if, I'm, if you just kind of chart out what has taken place since what I would call the hippie movement, if we chart out what has taken place and just kind of tried to predict how far is it going to go and when is it going to hit its peak, it kind of seems to me that this is going to be a 70-year judgment. Now that's just totally speculation. There's I don't have a, I'm not going to go and try and justify that in scripture. I'm just saying if we see the rate in which things have gotten worse and worse and worse, and we kind of predict what's the what's the maximum amount of of sinfulness, this nation could reach, it seems to me that we'll probably reach it in seven to ten years. 2030, perhaps. And I, and I say that, well, based on the trend, but also if we, if we look at when it says to dishonor their own bodies between themselves through the lust, that's honestly what happened with what we call the hippie movement. The hippie movement was not a group of college kids and people all over the country that just wanted the freedom to express themselves. That's what they said, but that's not really what it was. What it really was was a movement that was driven by a lust-filled rebellion against right thinking and morality and rules and law and anything that we would consider to be good. That's really what was going on. It was a rebellion, and of course they colored the rebellion with you know technicolored rainbow colored stuff and flowers and rainbows and all of that but it was still rebellion but here's what i'm getting at what's the first phase of judgment lust it says that that he turned them over to act out their own lusts in other words the first phase, of course, it goes on into things that get worse, but the first phase, you could just say you gave them up to the fornication of the, the what they desired. And we certainly know, if we're a student of history, even in the slightest bit, that, the, that what we call the hippie culture or the hippie movement, that was that. So I would actually say that already that our country, when we saw this sudden appearance, where did it come from? A sudden mass nationwide movement towards... You can call it peaceful rebellion if you want to, but rebellion, rebellion against truth, rebellion against religious moral convictions. That was the beginning of the judgment. When it's, I mean, I know the adults here know what I'm talking about. The 60s and 70s was the era of fornication being accepted publicly. That's what it was. And that's the first thing that happens, is that they dishonor their bodies between themselves. That can be a man and a woman dishonoring the godly uh, relationship that a man and woman is supposed to have, um, breaking what they would call the chains of marriage. And that's, no, that's, that's not really such a thing, but that's what they would call it. And so that was the beginning of the judgment. And then we see as it progresses when he, get, when he says it again, for this cause, we could kind of say this, that now because of what, you know, this whole hippie thing you have brought about, this rebellion against moral convictions and uprightness and truth, and because you have dishonored your own bodies through the lust of your flesh and that you, you refuse to turn your heart to God, okay, now I give you up even further, so to speak. And the second phase... It says it here, but is it not exactly what we've seen unfold? The second phase was, I'll just, again, I'll use the term Sodom and Gomorrah type activity. That's what it says. I don't want to read it again, but I know that y'all know that that's what it says. The first thing was just dishonoring their bodies through lust. The second thing, then it gets more explicit and it's more precise. And it's, you know, we saw this movement of that kind of thing that started about 20 years ago. Maybe even 25 years ago. And you know, it, I think that particular, what we would call a, a, a movement of the Sodom and Gomorrah movement, if we can call it that. It, it almost seemed to peak out about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. When they got all the laws in their favor and, and the marriage of that kind of stuff was legalized across the country and all that kind of stuff. But now that's hardly even talked about. Now, that's just every day. And now we actually see something even worse, which is the third and final part of the judgment, and it's called a reprobate mind. That ultimately, God gives them over to a reprobate mind. And when you understand the reprobate mind aspect, you realize that's the worst judgment of all. Because a reprobate mind is a mind that is incapable now. of It, it literally... Well, I shouldn't say literally, but it, it, it means that the ability to reason... The ability to see truth or to even receive truth has been taken from you now. A reprobate mind, the word reprobate really means rejected. But it's not just that he's saying rejected the people. It's the mind itself, the mind, the things of the mind, the things of justice and judgment, logic and truth, things that are extremely important to the, to the fabric of society, but especially to the Christian. You see, those things are gone. And that's why now, what do I mean? What does it look like if you actually turn a person over to a reprobate mind? How will they behave? Well, they will act like a gender that they're not. They won't know what they are, and they will argue that they are the ones standing on moral ground. They will argue that what they're saying is truth when it's actually the opposite of truth. They will argue that they are the ones that's loving and seeking peace in the world when actually they're bringing death and destruction to the world. You see, it flips the entire rational way of thinking upside down. And sure enough, that's what we see. I mean, there's stuff even happening, and you all know this, with what they call transitioning children. If that's not the fullest extent of a reprobate mind, I don't know what is. If that's not the most upside down, backwards thing that a human being could ever think, and not only do they think it, my friends, they defend it vehemently. And they see anyone who tells the truth about it as an enemy. And that's something that I'm going to be talking about a lot. I want you to understand something. Of course, you know, Katrina and I and Alan have been doing a podcast lately, and I really enjoy it, and I hope God blesses it, and I hope honestly that God gets the glory from it, and I hope that people are helped. But I have learned something, that because of the world that we live in, where people are literally blinded to just simple truths, that now if you just say truth, they say you're judging me. Well, I didn't judge you, I just said the truth. To call a sin a sin is not judging a person. It's just saying truth, but when the majority of people are blind to truth, to hear the truth feels like a judge, like you're being a judge. In fact, it's interesting, in the Bible, the first two places in which a person says, don't judge me, or who made you the judge? Guess where the first place happened? Sodom. Lot said, don't do this. And they said, who made you a judge over me? He wasn't really even judging. He just said, don't do this. The second place was actually Moses when there was two Hebrew uh, men striving together. And one smote the other. And Moses came up to him and said, why do you smite your own brother? And that guy says, who made you a ruler and a judge? You see, it's these people that are actually in the wrong To the eyes of a a man who's in his right mind, he can look and see they're in the wrong, but as soon as you even, even ask a question, like, why do you do this? Don't judge me. So there's this attitude, there's this way of thinking that comes with a reprobate mind. And to me, one of the things that I thought about, and again, this is, I may be overstepping a tiny bit here, I don't know, but it kind of seems to me like... When God completely gives someone over to a reprobate mind, it's like the image of God is removed from that person. And now they seem to be almost purely animalistic. The the humanity of man has been taken away from him. I think about, I've talked about this before, Nebuchadnezzar, when he was so lifted with pride and God just said, okay, I'll take from you the graces that I've given you. Rational thinking, logic, truth, reason. the the ability to be in your right mind, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to show you that that's a gift that I have given man. That's part of my own image that I have bestowed upon man, and I'll take it from you, and you will act like an animal. You will act like a beast. And so in that sense, we need to be thankful and cherish truth and reason and the ability to discern And to distinguish between good and evil. We actually should be thankful for that. It's something that we should give thanks to God and be grateful for. Because guess what? Your wisdom, which is the ability to perceive and hear and receive truth and discern and make right judgments and follow a right path. Your ability to do that is a gift. It actually is a gift. In other words, don't become prideful. Like, well, I know this and I know that and I'm so wise and I'm so smart and I'm so discerning and all that. Be thankful but not prideful because God can take it away from his own people. And I'm actually going to show you a passage, two passages in the Old Testament where he did. He took truth from Israel because they rejected it so much. He finally said, I will take truth from out of your mouth. And so I'm super, super thankful. But here's what I'm getting at. We shouldn't take it for granted. We should be thankful. And guess what else? God gives it to us for a reason. And the reason is not so that you can just sit at home and never tell the world the truth. The reason that the truth is given to us and revealed to us. One is for our sake. But two, it is for their sake. And so I want to take some time to show that, but first, and this is where things might get a little bit controversial or a little bit more heavy, because I think most all of us can readily see and agree that the world that we live in, the world that we know, the American world, so to speak, is under judgment. If what I have showed you from the Word of God is the proper application of that passage, then it's obvious we're under judgment. It's not that judgment is coming, it's that we're living in the time of judgment here And people, for the most part, once you show them, they see it. They're like, oh yeah. And it did progress, didn't it? There was three phases of movements. And surely we're hitting the end, aren't we? I mean, how much more backward can you get than literally flipping it? The positive becomes the negative. This gender says that they become this gender. You can't really get any worse than that. And so we're kind of reaching the climax of the judgment. But it seems to me that probably, like I said... Seven to ten years, we'll really see the fullest outworking of it. But here's something that I think people are not really seeing, and that is that the church itself is also in the midst of a judgment. The church. Not just the country, but the church. And that's why I took time in the beginning to tell you what I mean when I say the church. I'm talking about the the American church, the whole body of what identifies itself as Christianity. It's under a judgment. And it's not the first time this has happened, but we, again, we need to understand this. To be prepared, if for no other reason than to be prepared, and understand that when you do, even when you do it in meekness and love, but when you do tell the truth of the Word of God, half of the people that's going to come against you are actually church people. Because the church itself is under judgment. Let me give you an example. We know the passage that's actually quoted, I think, in all four of the Gospels, and each time it's maybe worded a little bit different way. But... And um, let me read it to you. Because I've got it on here. In John, it said this way. This was... John's record of what Jesus said. Therefore they could not believe. This is talking about the people of Israel that was rejecting Christ. Not all of them, but the majority of them. It says they could not believe because as Isaiah said, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. And when you read it in the New Testament, you're like, wait a minute. Is there unrighteousness with God? You're saying that these, these Jewish people that are hearing you and all this, they can't see and they can't understand and they can't believe because you have blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. That doesn't seem right. But when you actually go back and read the passage from Isaiah and look into it, you discover the truth is that it's because they were under judgment. That was the judgment against them. Why was they under that judgment? Because when the truth did come and when they could have believed and received, they refused to. It actually says that they, they, not God did it, but they hardened their necks and hardened their hearts and closed their ears against the truth. And they would not hear it. And when God's actually talking to Jeremiah, he says, Jeremiah, go and tell them this. But they're not going to listen to you. And of co- and sure enough, they didn't listen. And now God basically says, because you didn't listen, now listen, this should terrify us. God's basically saying, because you didn't listen, now you can't listen. That's a terrifying thing to me. God is saying that because truth has come to you over and over, because righteousness has been taught, and because you wouldn't receive it, now I'm gonna take away your ability to receive it. And that's a terrifying thought, honestly. To think that a judgment of God is that He would take away my ability, my actual ability to hear truth. That now, when I hear truth, because I'm under divine judgment, it will sound to me foolish. Even though I'm hearing the truth, something that could save my soul, something that could save me from a hardship in this life, something that could save me from pain in the flesh. Even though I'm hearing truth, I can't see it as truth because the judgment is I've been blinded to the truth because I have rejected the truth and rejected the truth and rejected the truth. And I have whole chapters that I could go to to show you. And we will look at a couple of passages in a minute so that you can see. I'm not making this up. But Paul basically prophesied to Timothy that the day would come and it would happen again. He said, Timothy, preach the word. That's important. Not preach the commentary or preach the devotionals or preach the whatever, but preach the word. Preach the Bible. He says, preach the word, and be constant or instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But listen to what it says. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves heap. Sure enough, right. They shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and listen. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. And I personally, why am I bringing this up? Because I want us to understand the dire situation that we're in. If we are true believers, and I believe that we are. If we are a part of the remnant church, the true church of God, and I believe that we are, we got to realize, man, we're in a dire situation because it's not just that our country is under judgment, but it's that the church as a whole, the national church, so to speak, is under judgment because they, we see when it says they'll be given unto fables, it's a judgment against them because they have turned their ears from the truth. They did not want to hear the truth. They who? The people you're going to be preaching to, Timothy. Which, of course, like I said, when Paul says the time will come, I don't know how far into the future he meant. But when it says they, they, they the people in the church, the people in the church will actually turn their ears from the truth. And whenever that happens, a judgment will come. And that is what we're seeing if we step back and think it's one thing to see the ways of the world and the wickedness of the world. It's one thing to see the phases of how it's gotten worse and worse and worse among the worldly. But my friends, it's a totally different and more fearful thing to see that it's actually, in my opinion, worse in the church. Why do I say it's worse in the church? Let me tell you. In Isaiah chapter 59, the church, so-called, is calling out, like, Lord... Where are you at? When will you judge this people? Not realizing they're under judgment. And he says, the arm of the Lord is not short that he cannot save. Let me read it. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he cannot hear. And so they were under a time of judgment. And they didn't even realize that that was what was going on. And it's amazing to me because Isaiah begins to confess their sin. And this is what he says. He says, we have lied against the Lord and departed from our God. But then listen. And this is not his exact words. This is my words to paraphrase it because KJV Old Testament gets a little bit difficult at times. I admit that. But this is basically what he says Rather than repenting of sin, we've repented of judgment. The way he words it is we turned away, we turned judgment away backwards. In other words, rather than examining ourselves, rather than calling a sin a sin, rather than saying, no, this is wrong, what we have done is repented. Of judgment. We will not judge anymore. Man, I mean, for me in my mind, my mind goes wild because that's like the message of the church nowadays. We're not going to judge. We're not going to discern between right and wrong. You do your thing, we'll do our thing. Listen, my friends, that philosophy, that way of thinking, may seem right, but it's It's not, and it's very dangerous. You can't say, look, I don't care if you're a thief. Steal all you want, just don't touch my stuff. You can't say that to a thief. You have to say no stealing's wrong. You can't say to a murderer. Look, I don't care if you're a murderer. I got friends that are murderers. Just don't kill me. Keep it out of my house. You can't say that. You know what that is? That's deferring judgment. That's honestly what it is. I'm not saying that you have to look the person right in the eye and condemn them, because that is actually what the Bible does tell us that we shouldn't have this condemning attitude. These this all these passages that we're familiar with in the New Testament about judge not that you be not judged, or you know, judge yourself first, you know, take the beam out of your own eye. All of these passages they do say that, but if you actually look at the underlying Greek, it doesn't even use the same word for judge every time. And it's more about just a condemning, hateful attitude kind of person. And no, we shouldn't be that. But I I have read a ton, just so you know, on this this week, because I wasn't really looking forward to talking about it, because I know it's not going to be received too well for the most part. So I wanted to make sure. And I've read, I mean, I I honestly wouldn't be surprised to say I've read a couple thousand verses this week. And when the people of God Begin to defer judgment. He took away from them the ability to judge. In other words, he took away from what is judgment? What do I mean by that? The ability to discern right from wrong and then stand on the right. To take a stand on the right. When they said, No, we're not going to do that, he took away from them the ability to do that. And and that's what it says in Isaiah 59 We have turned judgment away. We won't judge. We're not going to judge. We won't call sin a sin. Rather than, why did they even do it too? I I don't need to fail to mention that. What was their motive? Because they didn't want to repent of their own sin. Because they had sin in their life and they didn't want to repent of their own sin. So rather than repent of their own sin, they're like, look, we just won't call it sin anymore. We'll just defer judgment. Rather than standing with the just man, they stood with the wicked. I mean, really, it happened many times. That's why the prophets became hated because they would tell the truth and the rulers and the counselors and the judges knowing that what the guy's saying is right but they're like, no, I'm going to put my vote in with the wicked. And that was happening in Israel. The, the, the passage goes on to say that they had turned away judgment backwards. It says, none plead for truth. Truth falleth in the streets. Yet, truth falleth. In other words, truth ceases. Ceases to be found. Ceases to be heard. And I think Jeremiah was dealing with something like that when he said this. God talking to Jeremiah says, This is a nation that obeys not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receives correction. Truth is dead. Truth is perished. Doesn't mean that truth itself is actually dead. It means that the hearing of it, the preaching of it. Truth is perished and is cut off From their mouth. That's what Isaiah says when he says none plead for truth. Truth falleth in the streets. Yea, truth faileth. And then he says justice stands afar off. You know when we look at our country and in our church. I mean where is the cry for justice? Katrina was telling me an account this morning. She had no idea what I was going to talk about. But she was telling me about something that she read in the news. Where a 12 year old was being transitioned. Again, I hope those words haven't you know, messed up anything. Parents, you can talk to your children about that later when the time is right. But y'all know what I'm talking about. This 12-year-old girl was being transitioned while her parents is going through divorce and the father is fighting against it because they don't want it to happen. But there's no justice. And all the doctors and all the courts, say, no, we're going because the mother is pro this stuff. They're going her side. Surely you all see the same thing that I see. That now, if a righteous man and a wicked man is brought before the court of justice, who comes out winning? Wickedness. Because the judgment is gone. They side with the wicked. Justice, it says, justice standeth afar off and will not enter. And I mean, I, I personally feel the same way now. There is Justice has left our land. And it has even left our church. Now, if a righteous man or a man that's right with God, a man of faith, a man that believes the word of God, a man that really wants to stand for truth, when he stands, he's hated. But guess what? He's not just hated by the world. He's hated by the church. It ends by saying that if a man does depart from evil, he makes himself a prey. In other words, a a target. If you do actually... In the kind of world that we live in, in a world that's forsaken truth, in a world, in a church that has deferred judgment, in a church that says, we will not call this wrong, we will not call this sin, we will not tell you that you shouldn't do this. If you're a man in that situation that that actually does depart from evil, you will now be a target. And it says, and the Lord looked and saw that there was no judgment in the land, and he was sore displeased. And so, let me close. Let me close with a bit of a plea. I know that every personality is different. There are some people that's comfortable just speaking in a crowd and some that are not. There are some people that's comfortable to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and some that's not really. And so I understand that we all have a difference in things. But I can tell you for sure that deferring judgment, thinking you'll bring peace, will bring war. It will not bring peace. You cannot. It's forbid to defer judgment it's forbidden the prophets they were hated and i think i I try and put myself in their shoes a lot of times i'll tell you something it's a fearful thing to stand in front of a big crowd this is a small crowd but i've preached in other churches and i've preached to big crowds at times it's a fearful thing to stand up there and say something when a bunch of people are looking at you pretty angry because they don't like what you're saying I'm telling you, it's, it can be one of the most terrifying things that you go through. But they had to do it. Because it was God's word. And guess what? If they don't do it, God held them accountable. That's that famous passage from Ezekiel 3. If I give you a warning to warn the wicked man to turn from his wicked ways, and you don't warn him, his blood is on your hands. That's what it says. But if you do warn him, and he doesn't turn, then his blood is on your hands. But you got to warn him. That's your only choice. And I know many of us, myself, I would think, well, I'm not Ezekiel. God didn't give me a warning to warn the wicked men. Well, actually, he did. Actually, he did. In the New Testament church era, we're all priests and kings unto God. We all have a life to live and a message to bring to the world. We all have a light, and the church is putting it under the bushel. Silence is not a virtue. Deferring judgment will not bring peace. In fact, in that passage of Isaiah, it says they know not the way of peace. They won't discern between good and evil. They won't take a stand. They won't. And I know it's difficult. I know that it's difficult, especially when you're among family and friends and you realize I'm the only one in the room that sees this according to Scripture. But if I say it, they'll hate me. And there'll be tension. And they'll want me to go. That's what every prophet experienced. That's what every apostle experienced. And that's what you're going to experience. And that's the whole reason that I set the setting that I did. you got to understand, my friends, we are in a nation under judgment. We are already in it. And this is not at all, not at all the time for people who know the truth to be silent. We can't afford to. I am not saying that we're going to go out there and, you know, save the country and all that kind of stuff. I, God knows what's going to happen. It, you know, the, the, the church itself as a whole, if you look at the things they fall for, I mean, i seen a deal about the Easter service and it was a what you'd call a mega church That My goodness, I mean, the things that went on there was like, I, I'm thinking this is literally a church of Baal. The stuff that's going on. And it's very sad to me, and I don't think that it should be the case. But listen, I'm not saying that our nation is hungry for truth. I'm saying there is a famine of it, and they really, really need it. And think about this. It's sad to me that people like Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson and Michael Knowles and Matt Walsh, those are the voices of truth. Where's the church? Ben Shapiro is a practicing uh jew practices judaism i don't have any problem necessarily with jews but he doesn't believe jesus christ the savior he thinks he's a liar jordan peterson says this is a book of types and shadows and parables he's not really a christian as far as i know michael Knowles, i think is catholic i don't know i haven't looked into all these people but it's just sad to me that those are the heroes of truth where's the man of god it's one thing for them to stand there and say, hey, this trans stuff is foolish and upside down. That's good, but guess what they don't say? Jesus is the answer. The word of God is the answer. They don't go that far with it. Where's the man of God? Where's the men of God in our day? Seriously. Where are they? Perhaps they're being silenced. Well, I know they are. But I also think the problem is there's just too few and not just men of God, women of God. It's really just a plea. To realize that if what I think is right about this judgment, that every time this did happen, the end of the judgment of this taking truth from the minds of the people, so to speak, turning them over to a reprobate mind, actually ended in their captivity. And I don't want to be a captive. I don't want to be in captivity. I don't want our country to fall to some other country or to just collapse because it doesn't hold the truths of God or morality anymore. I don't want that to happen. And so even though at times it may seem hopeless, when we see the stuff on Facebook, all of the posts of the, of the, you know, because the, the, what was it, the beer company or whatever come out with this new spokesperson. And y'all know the story behind that probably. And we sell this support for it. And you know what we do? We're like, I'm just going to stay out of it. I'm just going to stay out of it. You know why you want to stay out of it? Because if you start commenting on it, you're going to just lose your Facebook friends. That's why. Because if you got 2,000 so-called Facebook friends and you start commenting truth on stuff like that, your 2,000 is going to drop to 20 in a month. And you know it. And so we remain silent. But what I'm trying to tell you is that because they remained silent, God judged them. Because they deferred judgment, God judged them. Because they wouldn't speak the truth, He said, I'll take the truth from you. And that's what I fear. That's what I fear for myself and our church and the churches that are holding to it. That we need to realize that if we don't speak, God will say, well, well now you can't speak. Now that it's so bad and that it is affecting your family and it is in your own house because you didn't say anything when you had the time Now I'm going to take it out of your mouth and you can't say it. When you deferred judgment because you didn't want to be an enemy of that guy. Even though it's not that you're trying to make yourself his enemy. But as soon as you tell him the truth you're going to be his enemy. So you didn't tell him the truth. and I'm going to make it so that you can't tell him the truth. That's what I fear. There was some very harsh or serious threats so to speak. And maybe threats not the right word but. Where God would tell the prophets, if you don't say what I tell you to say, I'll, I'll slay you. I mean, even with Joshua, he told him, if you don't get the sin out of the camp, I'll kill you right here. It's like, whoa, oh, that's very fearful. And so that's what I'm asking for you guys today. And like I said, I'm sorry, I'm done. I know it wasn't very edifying. But I just want to encourage you. And you're not alone. And I'll stand with you. In whatever circumstances that may arise, if you're standing for truth, I'll stand with you. To the best of my ability, I'll be there. If you end up in court because you stood for something that was happening in your family and you ended up arrested, I'll be at the courthouse with you. And if they throw you in jail, I'll come visit you. And I'll probably end up right beside you. But we're not alone in this if we can all realize that's what we live in, my friends. That's the time we live in, a nation under judgment and a church under judgment. And it's not our turn to be quiet. No, like, like God said to Jeremiah, they won't hear they will not listen to you, but you better say it anyway. That's what he's telling them. and so I, it was a plea. That's what I'm asking for you guys. I know it's hard to transition out of that to say, "Does anybody have a testimony or a word of praise?" But you know, I just want—I hope you guys get where I'm coming from. I'm not going to rehash any more of it again. I love all of you. I want to stand for truth, and I, I want to be—I want our church to be a beacon of truth and a beacon of light, and I want to live right before the world, but I also want to tell them why I live the way I live. I want to tell them about who I know. And the word of God and all that kind of stuff. But I don't want to have to do it alone. I want people there with me. And I don't want you to have to do it alone. I want to be there with you. So maybe in that sense, let's encourage one another to stand strong on the things that we believe in the times that we live in because it's very, very necessary. And so that being said, I will say, does anybody have a testimony or something they'd like to thank God that he done this week?